Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Friends, we've been on a journey through the scriptures, and it's been a great one. We've, we've, we've looked at the whole heart of God from Genesis, and we've, we're now nine months into this, and we've seen things maybe we never saw before. We've experienced things in the scriptures that maybe we've never experienced before. We, we've seen things actually in the context of which, what God was saying. And as I've said from the beginning of this series, so important that we understand the context of the scriptures because if you just pick one thing out and you camp on that one thing, you're going to miss the heart of God of what he's saying as a whole. And really that is the purpose of us walking through the scriptures and you can continue to follow on our app. You can download it's uh, the, the Bible app. Then you go to plans and you type in year of the Bible. And so every month we come out with a new one. And so you can jump in at any time, follow along. There's great devotions. We've partnered with the Bible Project as they have been tremendous in their videos. And so we've, it's a really great thing what God is doing. But God's been showing us some things that have maybe been challenging to maybe things that you've believed. We've been looking at the heart of God. We've been looking at God's heart and his purposes from the beginning is that there is a mankind who has been, who has inherited the sin of Adam. And so what is the solution? And so we've had to walk through seeing all of this and we've had to walk through seeing God choosing a man named Abraham and we've looked at it and it's been tremendous, it's been incredible, but the reality is this, that every person on the face of the planet has been born with a sinful nature. That's why you don't have to teach children to be bad kids. You don't have to teach them to steal. You don't have to teach them to lie. You don't have to teach them to hit you. You don't have to teach them to bite you by saying, amen. You don't have to teach him, right? It just it is what it is. And it's hard to believe that that child, though they haven't reached the age of accountability, it's to think, wow, they were born into sin. Yes, they were. They were born with the sin of Adam, just like everyone else. And so as we've looked at this, we've continued to see God's heart for the world, to see his heart for lost humanity. And today, I want, us to get, I want to give us a, an overview of Romans. Then I want to look at chapters 9, 10, and 11. Now, Romans is one of the, the most studied books of all of the Bible. It is filled with meat and filled with truth. And people study it. And it was written by the Apostle Paul, who is a Jew. And then Jesus arrested his life. And Jesus discipled him. And then Paul became what's called the apostle or the leader or the proclaimer or the sent one to the Gentiles. And so this is the, this is the great beauty of Romans. And so as you get into Romans, you see Paul recognizing that mankind has a problem. And that problem is sin. And so he's, he's walking through kind of systematically what God is saying through him. And he tells us that, that Adam, the sin of Adam, has left us bound and slaves to sin. And you think, oh man, this is terrible. It is. But this is the beauty of God's heart. And so as we know this, that Jesus, who was fully man, And Adam, who was fully man, except Adam wasn't fully God, Jesus was fully man and fully God, there was a need. What happened? We all inherited the sin of Adam. So Adam was our human father from the very beginning. And so we kept inheriting from generation to generation the sin of Adam. 
We kept inheriting the, the, the sinful nature, the things in us that, that are, why do I do the things that I do? And so Jesus came and the scripture, or Paul calls him, that he is a second Adam. In other words, this Jesus came and the Messiah came to live his life perfectly on our behalf. And so we're in a season of Christmas. He, he was born fully man, fully God. He lived fully man, fully God. He lived perfectly fully man, fully God. He was crucified fully man, fully God. And he did it all to represent us. So we needed a different representative. We needed someone to inherit righteousness from. And so that's what Jesus had come to do. But as, as, we, as we lean into this book of Romans, we're confronted with some very deep, significant theological things. So what I'm sharing today is, um, as I was praying about doing this, and I thought, man, Lord, a lot of people like, they can preach on Romans 19 11 for a year. And here's the great thing. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are the most debated chapters in all of the Bible. So I thought I'll do them all in one sermon, right? So here we go. But you have to understand God's heart for you and for the nations is in context to the whole Bible. And so we've, we've experienced what's been happening in Romans. We've seen now Paul talking about what is the purpose of the plan of God. He's, he's, he's explaining it for the readers to go, oh, that's it. I see that. So why did God choose Abraham as we've studied? Why did, why did, why did God bring Israel on the, on the, on the scene? And if, if God's son was the purpose from the beginning then why would God choose Abraham? Why would God then give them the law of Moses of 613 commands for people to follow? Why, why would he do this? So here's the issue. We need to understand that the law of God that was given by Moses on Mount Sinai, which we've studied, it was given for a reason. Now, this is what we need to understand this, that the laws of God, 613 of them, were not the solution for what was going on in mankind. They were not the solution for, for the sin of Adam. So think about this. So that God would say, you know what? Since Adam could not obey one law, I'm gonna get, give humankind 613 because that'll fix it. That's not the purpose of the law. And so Paul says some very significant things. Paul tells us that man was not able to keep the laws of God in chapter 7. And the more that they tried, it more, the more it revealed they couldn't. And the more they tried in their flesh and in their will, the more it revealed the weakness and the death of their own flesh. You see, the law of God was given not as a solution for our sinfulness. It was given to reveal to us that we need a solution for our sinfulness. Paul says this in Romans 7, 5, and he's talking about when they're trying to, to obey God in the realm of the flesh. For when we were in the realm of the flesh, he's speaking uh, of the law, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us. So, so the law, as you, as, you, as you were 
tried to obey it, arouse your sinful passions. So if I tell you, don't think about elephants, what do you think about right now? Did someone just say a chicken? Did I just hear that? <laughs> Never mind. If I laid out three Christmas cookies and I said, don't touch this one, which one do you want to touch? That one. And so the law was used to reveal in us, but I still want to. But I have the law of God and I, how come I still want to do things that violates it? And that was the purpose. God brought forth the law through Moses to reveal to us that it was not the solution, that we were sinful and we needed a solution. It was the plan of God from the beginning. So Paul deals with these things and, and this, this is a lot and there's a lot of um, differing opinions about all of this. But if you read the scriptures, it's very, very clear. And so the keeping of the law was required by God, the perfect keeping of the law. Well, then they realized we can't do it. And here's the other crazy thing. Yes, but out of the 613, but I kept 612, but I violated one. And the scripture says out of James 2.10, for whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point, everybody say one point, has become guilty of it all. Become guilty of it all. So again, the law was given not as the solution, but to reveal that we need a solution for our sin. This is the beauty and the heart of God throughout scriptures. And so Paul, as he, as he lays that out, as he, as he talks about the law, as he also talks about baptism, where, where when we are baptized, because we are, as we try to obey the law, we can't, it produces, actually go back to that, that verse in um, 7.5. This is what happened. As, we, as it aroused our sinful natures, the, law were at, the laws were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. So, as the law aroused our sinful nature, it exposed it, the fruit was death. That's why later Paul continues to talk about how the law brought forth death, but Jesus came to bring forth life. But the law exposed that we were actually dead. That was the fruit. So that was, that was the, the purpose of it. And we need to understand this is the whole totality of the heart of God. That we are guilty. And then Paul, after talking about the law and talking about how Jesus fulfilled it, starts talking about what a life looks like under the new covenant with Jesus in Romans chapter 8. And it's one of my favorite chapters in all of the Bible. If, if you would say, what, would, what one chapter would declare the whole heart of the whole scriptures? Overall, it'd be Romans 8. It declares from the beginning that those who are in Christ are free from the law. And you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. Yes, but what if I violated the law? In Christ, there is no condemnation. So in the old covenant, you would look to the law. You would, try, you would obey the law. 
and the law was perfect and it was designed to be perfect so that it re- showed you again that you were not perfect. But as you gave your, your, your efforts and your will to do the law, you came up short. But here in Romans 8, it is those who put their trust in Jesus. What they experience is no condemnation from any violation of the law. That all humanity who puts their trust in Jesus are free from the law because of what Jesus has done. This is the good news. And so he continues to declare in Romans chapter eight, begins no condemnation. It ends, there's no separation from the love of God for those who put their faith in Christ Jesus. So in Romans eight, everybody's high-fiving, come on Jesus, come on Paul, isn't God good? We're free from the law. Under the law, you could bring forth an offering because you violated one and you bring forth a sacrifice, but the truth is this, you were never released from shame and guilt from your violation. That's the issue with humanity. We've got a shame and guilt problem. And we try to numb it with drugs or sex or whatever it may be. The issue is it's much like the law. We try to make it go away by our own efforts and we end up being more shamed and more guilty. So they would make an offering and it wouldn't take away their shame or guilt. But then when, if you put your trust in Jesus, repent, confess, then all of a sudden that shame and that guilt, he takes it away from us and we are cleansed. We have a clear conscience before God and he removes from us our shame and our guilt. That's good news. And this is what Paul is contrasting here. So Romans 8, everybody's super happy. This is awesome. People are celebrating as they read it. It's, it's, it's my favorite chapter. If you've never read it, take some time, walk through it. it. It affirms your identity in Christ. By the time you get done with Romans 8, your face is hurting from smiling and your stomach is hurting from laughing. And then all of a sudden, like on a dime, Paul switches, boom, chapter 9. And this is what we're going to look at today, 9, 10, and 11. Again, the most debated chapters of all of the Bible, but that's no reason to skip them. There's no reason to say, well, because of the other opinions, we're just gonna, let's avoid them. No, mature Christians come to the scriptures and wrestle with them. We compare them to the heart of God that's been spoken through the whole Bible. So as as we approach these important things, I want you to keep in context the God's story of the Bible. So we're in a season of Christmas right now and we look at the purpose of why Jesus came and we, we lean into that. Why was he born? Because it really matters. It's just not one thing. No, no, this, this is God's heart. This is the incarnation of God on the earth. And so what does that have to do with us? As I As I reminded you in the beginning of this message and several others, when we come to the scriptures, when we've been doing this for nine months, you cannot take one event or two event or one scripture and shape God's whole story and plan. You can't build something on that. You have to look at the whole account. Romans 9, 10, and 11 are that same way, that same thing. If you stop and focus on one of the things, it's going to take you on an off-ramp and you're going to end up at a destination that God never intended you to be. 
And Paul covers a lot of ground and he moves really fast on some significant things and regarding the plan of God. And so we're gonna do the same today. And I know God's gonna bless you. So on the heels of Romans chapter eight, Paul's heart is crushed. He's in anguish, he is in pain. There's a problem. There's a problem going on. The problem is the Jews in which Christ came through, many of them were not following Jesus. Many of them had rejected Jesus. Well, that's a problem. His heart is hurting. Romans 9.1, he says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, which are the Jews. Those of my own race, the people of Israel. Paul here is demonstrating the heart of Jesus. He's demonstrating that if he himself could be in the place of the Jews that had rejected Jesus because they have been cut off. Later it says that they have been broken off of the root. And there's this understanding, even out of Romans 9, 10, and 11, a lot of different beliefs come. One is that the Jews actually don't need to, be, need to give their lives to Jesus. There's a, there's a dual covenant. Well, that's not in the scriptures. There's another belief that, yes, but that's God's, that's God's prerogative to share the gospel with them. That one day in his return, or there's some other way that God's going to show that Jesus is the Messiah. It's, it's, they're going to be taken care of another way than the rest of the world. That's not in the scriptures if you read it in totality. Paul is saying this, I wish for my family that they weren't cut off because they've rejected Jesus. I wish I would be for their sake. So Paul is in anguish. This is deeply personal for him. Be like any of us who have loved ones that no matter how much you tell them the truth, no matter how much you share with them the goodness of Jesus Christ, they reject him. They harden their hearts against him. And Paul loved his fellow countrymen and he made a statement. This statement is one of his, it actually reflects what Jesus actually did. Paul saying, I wish I could become the curse that they have become because they have rejected Jesus. Now Paul's number one identity, we need to understand as he writes, is that he's a follower of Jesus He's a Christian. He's an apostle to the, to the Gentiles. It's his, it's his number one identity. He said, I, I the only thing I want to know in my life is Christ and him crucified. He is a Jesus freak fanatic all the way through. But he's also a part of the Jews. And his heart is deeply grieved. When you hear him say that, you, what, I, as I read that, I, I was saying his, his heart is grieved because he wants his unbelieving kinsmen of the Jews to know the joy and the reality of Romans chapter 8. He wants them to no longer be condemned under the law. He wants them to be no longer separated and cut off from God and not a part of God's family. He wants them to, to be walking in what he is experiencing 
And Paul starts going over the history. As he's writing this book, he says, man, my, my kinsmen, I love them. He said, man, they were a special nation. They had a position in the history of salvation of the world. I mean, that's a big deal. They were set aside and made a nation by God. They experienced the, all the incredible things that happened as we've read and seen God's faithfulness through the Old Testament. They've seen the glory of God. They've, they've tasted and understood the covenant made with Abraham. The giving of the law of Moses, the God's promises. I mean, the patriarchs and, and ultimately Jesus Christ came through the Jews. There was a major piece. They were a major piece in God's story of the Bible. And he continues and he talks about how the prophecies, the prophets. And he lays it all out. But he's grieved because the Jews have rejected the Messiah. They've rejected the purpose of their existence. And so for the Jews, they, they couldn't believe. They couldn't accept Jesus because I, I don't believe that God would have fulfilled the prophecy about the Messiah this way. The Messiah was supposed to come and take Jerusalem back, supposed to be a military leader, supposed to come and save us. I don't believe this. This is not the Messiah really that I want. And they had, they had shaped their filter to see that the Messiah had to be this. And when he was in their midst, they missed them. For them, they had to think our Messiah is not coming to be a suffering servant as a Messiah. The crucified Messiah can't be what, what, what God had intended in the scriptures. And here's the other thing. Oh, wait, now this Messiah who's going to come through, through us, the Jews, the chosen ones of God, this Messiah, are, are now through him the nations of the world are going to be reached? Wait a minute. Are these the same nations that we were told through the law? to not go there, to not worship their gods, to not eat their food, to not intermarry with them. And you're telling me this Messiah is coming through us to reinherit all the nations of the world and now we're gonna be on the same level, we're gonna be all part of the family of God? No way, no way. And what Paul speaks of that there was an arrogance. They didn't want that. They were not supposed to be around, so they said no. And, and also there's this idea, oh, wait, so you're telling me that God has changed his mind. You're telling me that God isn't a God of his word. Oh, that God's unpredictable now. You're telling me what he said under the old covenant, he no longer says under the new covenant. And if you can't trust what God said then, then how can we trust what God said now? And so this is the dilemma. This is what Paul is trying to communicate. And so he asks this question, has God, God's word failed? Was God lying? It's really the question in Romans 9, 10, and 11. But Paul's having to lay out a context. He's wanting to lay out this whole idea so they can see it as a whole. 
And so as Paul continues to write, he continues to lay out that God's plan from the beginning, purpose from the beginning, was to save all people, Jew and Gentile, through faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other name under which anyone, no man can be saved except for Jesus. So Paul begins, and these, these chapters are, need to be consumed together. If you only look at one part, you're gonna, you're gonna misunderstand it. And it's been said that these chapters are like riding a bike. In order to, to stay on the bike, you've gotta keep moving. You gotta keep going through. If you stop pedaling at some point, you're gonna fall to one side or the other. So we're gonna keep moving. I think it's really important we understand that these three chapters are about God's plan of salvation for the world. And so we're gonna look at chapter nine, 10, and 11. Chapter nine, what Paul is saying is this, it's been the same from the beginning. God's purpose and plan hasn't changed. God hasn't failed his word. Now you may have misunderstood what God was doing, but he hasn't failed. This was his plan from the very beginning. That everything from Passover to the law, to the sacrifices in the temple, everything was pointing to a greater reality, Jesus Christ. Everything was. This has been God's plan from the beginning. And it's important that we understand too that God's plan of salvation from the beginning was never about keeping the law. How could it be? They can't. So from the beginning, salvation was not about also keeping the law, nor was it about an ethnicity, nor was it about a bloodline. It was always about faith in God by salvation, by his grace. So by the grace of God, people put their faith in God and they were saved. Now at this point, Paul is explaining why many of his fellow Jews aren't saved. But I want you, before we leave chapter 9, I want you to see Romans 9, verse 6. If you don't get this verse, friends, hear me. My heart is to, is to represent the word of God clearly and truly. If you do not get this verse, you will misunderstand chapter 11. Romans 6, it is not as though God's word has failed. No, 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 it has not. For not all who are descendants from Israel are Israel. So this is not about a bloodline. This is not about an ethnicity. It was God's plan from the beginning to save both Jew and Gentile. So he says, so is God's word felt? No. What are you talking about? And he goes on in Romans 9, 8, it is not the children by physical descent, bloodline, ethnicity, who are God's children, but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. So he is writing this under the new covenant. And he says, it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children. It is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Well, who's that? What's the promise? Who are the children? I'm glad you asked. Galatians 
The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say and to seeds, plural, meaning many, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. So what was the purpose of the promise of Abraham? To bring forth Jesus. Who are the descendants of Abraham's promise? Those who put their faith in Jesus. And Paul is grieved because his Jews, his fellow kinsmen, have rejected Jesus. Rejected it. It's always been God's plan from the beginning. What Paul is saying if, is that he's been saved that the nations, that the people in this new covenant are saved by faith through the grace of God. He's always, God's always saved by grace, not by works. Again, the law that Paul wrote out, he said this, it existed to expose that we needed a solution. It wasn't the solution. And so God has consistently worked through mercy under the old covenant, not perfect obedience. How could he? The scripture says that they, the law could not be kept. It was only by God's grace. It's always been about God's grace. It always will be about God's grace. No one is gonna stand before God and say, hey, I'm here because of how good I am. You are not. You were only there by the grace of God. Paul then goes, goes on to say that it's through the Jews' rejection of Jesus that how God chose to save the world. Paul is saying that, God, that, that he used the rejection of the Jews of Christ to take the gospel to the, to the Gentiles. And that's who he is. He's a He's an apostle to the Gentiles. Later, the disciples, after they finished preaching in Jerusalem, Paul's a remarkable individual. After, after the resurrection of Christ and his, his, uh, his encounter with Jesus, the, the, the disciples stayed within Jerusalem for three and a half years before they went to the Gentile nation. Paul's like, man, I don't have time. I'm out of here. I'm going to go reach him. And he did. <clears throat> So Paul starts talking about the hardening of hearts. And he talks about Pharaoh, Romans chapter 9. For the scriptures say to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills and he hardens whomever he wills. So Paul's saying, remember, remember, God used the hardening of Pharaoh's heart. God used Pharaoh's rebellion to get us out of slavery. Remember that. That's how we got out. Now, here's the deal about the hardening of individuals' hearts. As, as God leads you and guides you, the more you say no to God, the more your heart becomes hardened. So Moses went to Pharaoh, said, hey, let my people go. He says, no. And God hardened his heart. 
And the best way that I would describe this idea of the hardening heart, it's the same, it's the same sun that softens the butter and hardens the clay. It's the condition of the heart. And, but Paul is letting them know, hey, listen, listen, God has hardened the Jew's heart so that the Gentiles can be saved. He used it. And here's the reality. God can use our hardening. He can use our obedience. He's God. He can do whatever he wants. And so then we come to chapter 10. God's plan. Yes, God, it was God's plan for the beginning. And guess what? God's plan has succeeded. At the core of the heart of God and the message of the whole Bible is that God wanted a family. It began in the Garden of Eden. And then they failed and then it, he still wanted a family. And then we have the issues with Noah as people became more wicked and more wicked. God's still longing to be with the, his creation. He, he created mankind to be in a relationship with him. That's why he created you. That's why you're, that's why you're here because he has, he has drawn your heart to know him. But they, they kept rejecting him. Then you have the flood, and then you have the Tower of Babel, and they said, no, God, we don't want to do it your way. We want you to come to us for our glory, for our purposes. And God's like, man, I just want a family. And so, because he gave them what they wanted. They said, we don't want you. He gave them what they wanted. He scattered them, and he assigned over them. As you read in the scriptures, he assigned over them. He broke up the nations, people, and language according to the number of the sons of God. So these are these angelic beings, these rulers, these, they, they help bring forth the will of God on the earth. And he said, okay, if you don't want me, I'm, I still love you. And I'm going to give you someone to watch over you. But then he said this, Genesis 11, I'm going to pick my own nation. And he calls Abraham and he sets Abraham aside. I'm going to give them their own language. And he gave them the language. I'm going to give them their own nation. And he gave them a nation. But again, it's working God's plan from the beginning. And then Jesus, now we need to understand God's plan has succeeded. Romans 10, 4, Jesus came to end, to the end of the law. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So now this is about a wide spreading, it is, it has succeeded. People aren't under the law anymore if they believe in Christ. Probably a better translation is this, for Christ is the goal, the goal of the law. Christ is the des destination. We just finished the World Cup. It's Christ. The goal is, where, is what Jesus has, has, he's come to go into the goal, which is the fulfillment of the law, to end the law. Now righteousness is not about the law. It's about everyone who believes in Jesus. Are you guys thankful for that? Listen, this is significant doctrine and theology, and I'm so proud of you. I promise you our Christmas services won't be like this, okay? You're like, I'm not taking my friend. Good grief. No, it's going to be great. But Christ was the goal. So before Jesus, God said you must obey the law. You got to obey the food laws. You got to obey the worship laws, the ceremonial laws. But now, wait, wait, you don't have to now? This is what a lot of people wrestle with. 
This is why we create two covenants. This is why we create our kind of strange beliefs because one, we, we get off on an off ramp and we miss the destination. But the best way to describe it is this way. Why did God give the law? What was all that about? Well, it's like this. So if I, you, you have children, you're walking up to a road. So this is an illustration from N.T. Wright. But you walk up to a road. And the goal is you're going to cross the road and go home. Everybody say go home. So you're going to go home. That's the destination. So you get up to the road with your, with your kids. You go, hey, hey, wait, uh, hang on. Don't cross the road. And because you're a parent, you have a bigger perspective. You have a bigger idea. You know what's really going on. You see things they don't see. Because your goal is home. And so then you go, you look around, it's time. All right, let's cross the road. They go, nope, you said don't cross the road. Well, I know, but I'm saying, nope, I'm telling you, I'm not crossing the road. I'm an obedient child. You first said don't cross. Now you want me to cross? Yep. Nope. You must not be God. You must not be dad. Because dad said, don't cross. Were you abducted by aliens? What's going on? And you go, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not, I'm not crossing. I'm not crossing. The goal is home. So dad's going to do whatever he needs to do to get those little scrawny kids across the road and get them home. Why? Because he's a loving God. He's a loving dad. So there was a reason to say, hang on. And now there's a reason to say, let's go. I've heard it explained this way. It's kind of like you sit down at dinner with your child and you go, hey, don't eat dessert right now. Okay. So you eat and then you're like, you can have dessert. No, you said I can't. I did. But now you can. Nope, I'm not going to eat it. That's, that's what's going on here. That's why things were given. That's why the law was given. The goal is home, but it wasn't time yet. So it's so, so important for us to understand. God didn't change his mind. He was working a greater purpose. Just like the dad didn't change his mind when he said, let's cross the road and go home. He was working his purpose to bring salvation for the world, friends. Because he's a good God. Because from the very beginning, he wanted you and his family. It was his original intent. And at the right time, at the right moment, as Galatians 4 says, when the fullness of the time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons and daughters of God. It's beautiful. It's the gospel. So the purpose of God preserving the bloodline of Abraham, preserving Israel... The purpose of Jesus' burial, resurrection, was to make a way for both Jew and Gentile. At the appointed time, now you can come closer. At the appointed time, now Jew and Gentile, when they put their faith in Jesus, they are not under, they're not under the law. They're not filled with guilt. They're not filled with shame anymore. You can be forgiven, delivered, given a new identity because your old identity was death. The fruit of your life obeying the law was death. The fruit of your life because you were born under sin was death. 
But now, in the fullness of time, in the heart of God, his son comes and he comes to save us all. At the same time, he's here. That's what's going on. That's what Christmas is about. To unite us as one family. For all those who put their faith in Jesus, you are part of the root, part of the promise. Even as you come to chapter 10, there's this, there's this idea. You see Elijah there. You guys still with me? Hang with me. Hang with me. You see Elijah. And, uh, and, and so Paul's talking about there's always a remnant. What's this remnant? What is this remnant he's talking about under the new covenant? So he says this. Hey, he, he quotes, you know, Elijah, he was freaked out one time and he was crying out to God and said, man, I'm the only one. I'm the only, only follower of you, God. And what does God say to him? He says, what are you talking about? I've got 7,000 people who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Oh, so everyone else had bowed their knee to Baal. Everyone else had put their faith and trust in another God, but not these 7,000. So there is a remnant. And that remnant is what Paul speaks of in chapter 11 about the root. And he talks about a remnant. Those who put their faith in Jesus are the root. Chapter 11, God's plan will continue to succeed. Something that's really important to see is that Paul is speaking again about the hardenings of, Jews, of the hearts of the Jews. But here's what's beautiful about it. The hardening of hearts doesn't mean it's always gonna be hard. That's not what it means. God's hardening of hearts is for the purpose of making sure God's will and plan is done. Now catch this, in the person that's hardening their heart and by their hardening, what God will do through that to someone else. Because God is God, he can do things like this. And he does this and their hearts become hardened and he uses the hardness of their hearts for the gospel to get outside, to reach us. The Gentiles at the time. Now here's the thing. Can a heart be hardened? Excuse me. Can a heart be softened after it's been hardened? We need to understand this. And Paul, he's quoting, he's quoting the scripture out of Romans 11. Quoting David. And he's speaking about the Jews. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they, may, they cannot see and bend their backs forward. Notice it doesn't say bend their backs backwards, but bend their backs forward, lean them forward. So you think, well, that's it. It says forever, it's done. But look what Paul says next, verse 11. So I ask, did they, meaning, the, what we just read, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Did, did they stumble so much that they can't be saved? No. What are you talking about? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So here's the purpose. The gospel, the purpose, God is still doing things the same way. 
And so now for us, as we live our lives, as we walk with Jesus, as, as Jews who follow Jesus and Gentiles who follow Jesus, we're part of the same family. Our lives, the blessing of Abraham through our lives is to make those who don't know Jesus, including the Jews, jealous and say, hey, I want some of what you got. Hey, something on your life is, is reflective of the promise of Abraham. What's going on? That's what it's, you guys with me? Say Amen. So what's the point of making Israel jealous? So that they will want to follow Jesus. And he goes on to say, I magnify my ministry in order to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save them. So when God hardens your heart, listen to me, he's pushing you the direction he wants you to go. And you resist, you become hard. But this is the heart of God. That God, this is his solution. Romans 11, Paul says this, the partial hardening has come upon Israel. Until the fullness of Gentiles that has come in. And in this way, now this, this, is, this is the divider right here. You ready for this? All Israel will be saved. Now, people go, see, it's not our responsibility to reach the Jews. God's going to take care of it. See, this is the other way that, you know, somehow God's going to do He'll take care of it. How is all Israel going to be saved? A lot of opinions. Here's the question. Who is Israel? And I don't think, and I'll share this with you, I don't think that Paul is saying, Hey, after everything he's just spoken of, after his heart of anguish, how he is weeping and 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 Declaring, I wish I would be cut off so that they could be added. His expressed broken heart about the Jews who were not saved because they have not put their faith in Jesus, because they stayed on the other side of the road and said, I'm not going. And many people say, Well, this is when, when Christ returned, then all of Israel will be saved. And I, I know, I know, given all the great debate out of these chapters and a lot of divisive people over this, and they say, oh, but you're this, and that's, it's crazy. But here's the reality. Jesus is our focus. Jesus is the one we follow. Jesus is the one who gave his life for us. Jesus is the purpose for Abraham. Jesus is the purpose that the, from the prophecy of Genesis 3. Jesus is what it's all about. And here is Jesus. And I know people would disagree with me. But when you look at the statement in context of everything else he's spoken in Romans, I believe he's referring to the Jews and the Gentiles who will place their trust in Jesus Christ. The moment when every person who is to give their life to Jesus, when the moment that happens, then all of Israel will be saved. And so you can't say, well, you're probably thinking, Jason, you can't say that. How do you know that's the Israel he's speaking of? Because Romans 9, 6 for not all who are descendants from Israel belong to Israel. So what does that mean for us then? Three things very quick. We're to be, we're to be humbly grateful for our salvation. We're to be humbly grateful. The Jews had arrogance. They did not want this Messiah that was going to bring the other nations. Uh-uh, nope, nope, no, it's us. We're it. We're chosen. Well, guess what's happening to the Christians in, in, in Rome? They're like, uh-uh, uh-uh. 
we're special. And Paul's like, excuse me, it's by grace. It's by grace, you numpty, that you're saved. Don't you dare think, don't you dare think that you're better than the Jews. Here's the other thing. I believe this. I believe that this was Paul's defense to the church in Rome. There was a belief in the church in Rome that the Jews had done, the Jews had gone beyond being saved. They could not be saved. That's why all through here, he said, listen, I'm a Jew myself. What are you talking about? That they had concluded in their belief that, nope, they, the Jews rejected Jesus, therefore Jews can't be saved. So Paul's like, you guys are dumb. And so he addresses their arrogance. He addresses that, oh, listen, you, you, you are not to be arrogant. Because remember what happened with the arrogant Jews who rejected Jesus. They were broken off. And because of that, you've been added on. And throughout church history, there's always been times and seasons that say, hey, you know, Jews are beyond reaching. The Jews, you can't evangelize them. The Jews, you can't preach the gospel. The Jews, and there's always an excuse to not share the gospel. But it flies in the face of Paul who says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am not ashamed of the work of Jesus Christ. I commit my life to declare and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to whoever has ears. Let them listen and let them hear. Apostles don't become proud. So what else? What do we do? Share the gospel. We share the gospel with everyone. And I will end with this. Thank you for your patience today. It's very important in that I took this time for us, for us as a church, because it's, I believe it's true. Well, no, Jason, you're not supposed to share the gospel. God's going to work it out. And there's a belief also that only Jews, can saved Jews, can share the gospel with unsaved Jews. And so... Listen to Paul, Romans 10, 1 through 2. Remember, he's writing this letter to who? The Romans, who are Gentile. Not all of them are Gentile in the church, majority of them. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Huh. He goes on to say, and the Jews are the only ones who should reach them. He doesn't say that. He doesn't go on to say, and so God will make another way. No, no, he is grieved. He wants them to be reached. Now listen. Romans eleven eleven. Did they stumble in order that they might fall? No. They have not gone so far that they can't be reached and that we can't preach the gospel to them. They have not gone so far that you can't send missionaries to them. But Paul doubles down. Next verse. It'll be Romans 10, 10. With the heart one believes and is justified. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Who's the him? Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Who's the Lord? Jesus. How then? Now look, look, look. How then will they? Who's the they? Say it to me. Who's the they? 
the Jews. How then will they call on him and whom they have not believed? And how, how are they to believe in him whom they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching to them? And how are they to preach unless they're sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. That's the context. That's what God is saying. I believe he's saying. And the last thing is this. We give thanks to God and we trust God. We trust him. We do what we're called to do. We expect God to do what he said he would do with our faithfulness to the gospel, with our faithfulness to all those who are around us. Listen, God is calling us. He has made us a part of his family so that through us, we can continue to proclaim the good news around the world to our neighbor and to each other. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. It's incredibly difficult to navigate these chapters, but it is incredibly necessary. And if you're a guest here today, you're wondering, oh, what in the world just went on? I promise you, I promise you, it gets better, okay? But we need to align ourselves with Scripture and the whole story of God. And may we be filled with a fresh calling that we are to share the gospel with everybody. There was no one off limits. There was no one even because of circumstances, no one that God doesn't want to use you to reach with the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we have the passion and the heart that Paul does. May we as a church orient ourselves with the word of God and say, God, use us how you want to. Use us according to your word, not according to my passion, not according to what I'm a part of, not according to my leaning, according to your word. May this church bring you glory, bring you honor. May this church be a vessel that your gospel flows through. May this church explode in generosity of heart, of spirit, of resources. May we reach our city for the lost and the dying here. That's why we're here. May we preach it. May we live it. May we ask God to anoint us. May he soften the hearts of those around us. And may you experience the fresh revelation of God's heart and purpose for you. You are no longer under the law. You no longer have any condemnation that belongs to you. You are, if you are in Christ, no condemnation. Yes, but what about I did 10 years ago? No condemnation. Jason, you don't understand. No condemnation because in Christ you're free from the law. Walk in that today, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your kindness for your grace we love you you are the center of our world and God today I pray that you would minister to us and all this information all this, this very deep information at times God may you minister deeply to us God, I pray for your people today. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you want to be saved and a part of God's family, nobody's looking around, raise your hand right now, right where you are. Bless you. Thank you. Just hold it up for a moment. Thank you. Bless you. Many hands going up. Thank you. 
Thank you. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. The Bible says in Romans 10 that we were just in. If you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. You will be saved. Let's all pray together. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I believe that you came for me. I believe that you're my representative. And today I put my faith in you, Jesus. I'm no longer attached to Adam. I'm attached to you. I believe that you died for me as my representative. I believe that you rose from the dead as my representative. And from this moment forward, use me how you will. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless.